Welcome to Saucy Shorts, brought to you by Copycat Creative. This is Dinner by Catherine Case, read by Paul Sandys. Why are you fidgeting? Stop fidgeting! Clemmy lightly slapped Will's hands. He'd been trying to shoot his cuffs, something he'd seen at least three Bonds do, but it hadn't really worked. His cuffs were still caught at a too high snagging point on his forearm, which was proving uncomfortable under the already too tight jacket. He wasn't even totally sure why he was wearing a jacket. At the last minute, as he was holding open the front door of his Twickenham flat for her, Clemmy had stopped mid-hair fluff and looked him up and down, frowning. Is that a bit... casual? She indicated his loose jeans and faded rugby shirt. He looked down at himself. No. Is it? Are we... Is it smart? I thought it was dinner. Well, yeah. Clemmy rolled her eyes. But it's still, you know, a, a dinner party. Oh, should I change? No. Well, maybe. If they're going to the effort of throwing this thing, it'll be a nice night. Joni will probably go all out. Arlo will be in a shirt, at least. So... I should change. Yes, but if you want to. Don't make it seem like I'm the one making you change, though. It's just... You don't want them to wonder who the scruffy homeless guy that turned up with Clemmy is, do you? Homeless? That shirt has holes in it. This he could not argue with. He retreated to his room and fished out a clean-ish shirt and an old blazer that his mum had bought him for his cousin's wedding. It was a little snug, but he felt it would do. Clemmy pressed the doorbell satisfied that he'd stopped fidgeting like a five-year-old. The door was magnificent, an emperor among doors. Just off Tite Street, it sat back from the road, hiding between two imposing pillars, the kind favoured heavily in this neck of the woods. It was painted a deep, velvety green, and bore a huge, black lacquered knocker the size of Will's head that had been shaped to look like the bust of a roaring lion. The knocker looked impossibly heavy, probably why Clemmy plumped for the doorbell. Will noticed that the doorbell had no neighbours. It was the only one attached to this building. This could only mean that Joni and Arlo must own the entire place. The thought of anyone owning an entire anything in Chelsea was enough to make his mind boggle. Perhaps Clemmy had been right to make him change. The fabulous door swung open and Will found himself unexpectedly in the presence of Joanna Lumley's granddaughter. Or at least how he imagined Joanna Lumley's granddaughter might look if she had very closely monkeyed her grandmother's style. Darlings, you made it! Joni swooped on Clemmy, wrapping her arms around her and burying her face in Clemmy's hair like they had not seen each other in years. In fact, Clemmy had had lunch with this Joni only last week. Joni had artfully dyed blonde hair gathered up in the messiest of messy buns atop her small head. Everything about this woman was small, in fact delicate. The arms she now wrapped around Clemmy's waist were twig-like and sinewy. She stood a good head shorter than the not particularly Amazonian Clemmy, making her, what, 5'2", five 5'1"? Five she had sharp little features, which had been painted with ludicrous amounts of makeup. Thick, black, flaking lashes made the most of small, somewhat beady eyes. Thin lips were smeared with candy pink lipstick, the complicated-looking green wrap dress she wore hung from her fragile-looking frame. Will mused silently that this is what one meant when describing someone as bird-like. 
Releasing Clemmy, Joni threw her arms around Will's neck, planting kisses on both cheeks. And this is the mystery man. It's so good to meet you. Sorry, I'm a hugger. Aren't I a hugger, Clem? You are, Clemmy confirmed dutifully. Well, let's not stand around in the cold. Come on in. She clasped Will's hand and dragged him over the threshold, with Clemmy bringing up the rear. She kept a hold of it all the way along an endless hallway that was hung with artwork that he suspected were not replicas. She finally pulled him into a large lounge full of people reclining on overstuffed furniture where she pushed him around the room, insisting that everyone acknowledge his existence. Rupert, you must meet Will, Clemmy's new beau. Tarquin, darling, have you met Clemmy's new fella, Will? Shaharazad, come and meet Clemmy's man. Isn't he gorgeous? He's from Wales. This last fact she revealed to her guest as though she was saying, he's from Saturn. Clemmy seemed to know most of the guests, but Joni was clearly her close friend. They kept sloping off to the kitchen to whisper to one another. Will knew Joni was a big part of Clemmy's life. She talked about her enough. But it was only after eight weeks of dating that he was deemed roadworthy enough to be presented to her. He idly wondered what Clemmy had been worried about. He was inoffensive enough, surely. How badly could meeting her friends possibly go? He was unlikely to embarrass her, apart from his clothes, of course. He had a good job, although not, it seemed, quite as good as Arlo's, and people seemed to generally like him elsewhere in life. And yet, Clemmy had put off integrating him for what felt like ages. For such a confident woman, he had found this odd. A balloon-shaped glass of red wine was pushed into his hands without him asking for it, and he was ushered into a trendily shabby leather armchair next to Arlo, freshly emerged from busying himself in the kitchen. The old girl can't cook for toffee, Arlo drawled, nodding at his girlfriend. So it always falls to muggins here to rustle up the grub. Arlo was pleasantly ruddy. The corn-fed son of an agricultural lawyer, he'd grown up in the rolling fields of West Sussex and had inherited the Chelsea Palace in which they now congregated, from an affluent aunt with no children of her own. Legend had it, she'd once entertained Sean Connery in the master bedroom on the third floor. We all learned that Arlo had scooped Joni up at an Oxford house party during their uni years. Joni had attended Oxford proper, whereas Arlo, the self-confessed dunce of the family, had wasted three years securing a rather lukewarm 2-2 from Oxford Brooks. It hardly mattered. He still got to romp around all the proper Oxford parties due to his lineage, gaining access to the social elite through school chums and friends of the family. When he finally washed up in London, his mother pulled some impressive strings and landed him an entry-level gig at PwC, a job that he was wildly unqualified for, but nonetheless seemed to earn him an obscene income. Joni poodled about at her marketing job at Burberry, treading water until Arlo made an honest woman of her. Will briefly wondered what a bright girl who went to Oxford was doing poodling about in a middling marketing role in fashion but had to tune back in as Arlo had moved on and was now expanding on the finer points of salmon fishing in Scotland. Will found his host plummy, daft and absurdly out of touch, but he liked him, despite himself. There was a contagious sort of warmth to this sandy-haired toff. He had a way of speaking that made one want to lean in closer and a great guffawing laugh that bounced off the walls of his lavish home. He was fun, there was no denying it. The key, the absolute key to landing the big kahunas is your quality of bait. 
darling. Joni perched a bony bottom on Arlo's lap. You're boring, poor Will. Look at him, he's dozing off. Nonsense. Fishing is always exciting. Any fishing down your way, Willie? Fishing? In Twickenham? Not that I know of. No, no. Whales, mate. Whales. I hear there's some superb wild brown trout to be had in the river Usk. Oh, right. Got you. Uh, I grew up in Portalbot, so... Is that near Usk? No, not really. And the old man never fished? Wouldn't know. Never met him. It was just me and my mum. Oh. Joni clutched a hand to her heart. Oh, Will, I'm so very sorry. She took one of his hands. How awful for you. He was a bit taken aback by the reaction. After all, his dad hadn't left yesterday. We were knocking on for 31 years now, and you really couldn't mourn what you never had. Don't worry about it. It's done me no harm. Yes, Joni, do pull yourself together, sweetheart. You're embarrassing the man. Arlo remonstrated, giving Joni a squeeze on the hip. Sorry, I just... How sad. Now Will was feeling awkward. He glanced over Joni's shoulder in the hope of glimpsing Clemmy, but her back was to him as she chatted to a woman dressed in a rather racy black lace number. People really did dress up for dinner in Chelsea. Speaking of which, he was starting to feel hungry. His tummy gave a well-timed rumble. So, what are we having for tea? He asked politely immediately cursing himself for not calling it dinner. Now he felt like a proper knob. Joni waggled her eyebrows suggestively and topped up his wine with a bottle that she seemed to produce from behind her back. Aren't we the eager beaver? Arlo chuckled at her and nuzzled her neck, which only garnished the awkwardness. Dinner won't be long, lovely. Just hang tight for a few more minutes. She leant into him from her boyfriend's lap, bringing her face very close to Will's. He thought perhaps she might be drunker than she looked, this idea was given legs when she cupped his face in her hands and kissed him deeply on the mouth. His head sprang back from her grasp like a jack-in-the-box. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Whoa! Uh, what are you, uh... He looked from Joni to Arlo in astonishment. Both were laughing at him. Arlo was in stitches. <laughs> mate, your face! He slapped the thigh that wasn't hosting his girlfriend. Oh, Joni, you absolute rascal! She released a childlike tinkle of laughter, clapping her hands in delight. Oh, Will, you're too yummy. Clemmy said you agree, but oh, you're just gorgeous. I adore you. We are going to have such fun tonight. With that, she jumped off Arlo's knee and went over to the iPad that had been set up in the corner, apparently to adjust the music. Will turned to Arlo. What? What was that? Hmm? Oh, just Joni being Joni. Don't worry, mate. He patted Will's knee slightly higher than where one would normally pat. You'll be fine. Mustache, kick off in five. Better clean the old gnashers once more. He too rose from his seat and disappeared from view. Will had never been so confused in his life. Why would you clean your teeth before dinner? He needed to find Clemmy. Extricating her from the lady in lace, he hustled her into a corner and whispered, Clemmy, what the fuck? Joni just kissed me. Clemmy gave him one of her signature eye rolls. Oh, God, she's such a tart. She can never wait to get going. Hang on, 
What the fuck are you talking about? Get going on what? You know, the action. The action. The party. The party. The party where women who aren't my girlfriend kiss me on the mouth. Well, that is generally the idea behind a swingers party, Will. He gaped at her like he was one of Arlo's Scottish court salmon. He blinked. Once. Twice. He shifted his weight to his other foot. She just stood in front of him, bald as brass, one hand on her hip, looking at him like he was the biggest idiot in the room. A what? Look, I knew if I told you, you'd be squeamish and then wouldn't want to come. And I really can't go stag to any more of these. It's simply not fair. You have to contribute, you know. You can't just keep turning up empty-handed to a party, then eat all the steak tartare. I have to bring a creme brulee once in a while, know what I mean? I am not a bloody creme brulee. Bottle of red wine, then. Whatever. Point is, I needed to start bringing a partner, and I thought you'd enjoy it once you were here. I still think you will. She calmly sipped her flute of champagne as though they were discussing whether or not he'd enjoy opera, if only he'd give it a whirl. At this point, he grabbed this raving lunatic of a woman by both shoulders. He just stopped himself from shaking her. Clemmy, you cannot bring me to a party in order to have sex with someone else under false pretenses. Especially not as a matter of etiquette. You fucking mad. I really don't appreciate this hostility, she replied coolly, brushing his hands away. Look, you're free to go. The door's there. I know I'm free to go. And not your fucking submissive. Although, given what you've just told me, I suppose anything's on the cards. Oh, come on, Will. Are you honestly telling me that you didn't twig? I honestly am, he replied firmly. I thought we were having dinner. He did nothing for a moment, just glanced furtively round the room with new eyes. The woman Clemmy had been talking to was not, in fact, wearing a slightly daring dress, but a fishnet body stocking that clung to every curve. Bright red fabric cut into the shape of hearts covered each nipple. She'd paired it with spiked heels that she could not possibly have arrived in. The nearest tube stop was miles away. By her side was a very tall, very muscular man with floppy hair who seemed to have discarded his shirt. Had he been stood there all night like that? He chatted amiably with the lady in full-body fishnet like they were at a garden party. Across the room, a couple were openly necking on a chaise longue in a manner that could definitely be considered antisocial at a different kind of party. The man's hand was firmly wedged up his partner's skirt. A large bowl, stationed on a glass coffee table in the middle of the room, which he had thought filled with large, flat, foil-wrapped sweets, was actually filled with... well, not sweets. Yes, in fairness to Clemmy, there was an argument that perhaps the signs had been there. So, are you staying? Clemmy asked, somewhat impatiently. I... I don't know yet. He genuinely didn't. His instinct was to run, get as far away from these people as possible. Problem was that he really liked Clemmy. The last two months had been brilliant. After being girlfriendless for four years, it felt wonderful to wake up to somebody again. 
to have someone to text, to introduce to his friends, granted with lukewarm success. And she seemed mad for him. Fiercely independent, wildly confident, Clemmie would march through his front door twice a week, chucking her bag and keys in a pile on the floor and drag him into the bedroom no matter what he was doing. She was voracious, exciting. He couldn't get enough of her. He'd never been wanted in quite such a way. It was addictive. But now he was wrong-footed, shocked, repulsed, and, yes, it had to be said, a little curious. This cool-headed, hot-blooded lawyer who'd been sharing his bed for weeks, whom he'd assumed was relatively kink-free, liked to swing. Was that the proper verb for it? He supposed he could ask later. For a man whose scandalous past began and ended with making love on the ghost train, belonging to an abandoned branch of Butlins with his first girlfriend during that particularly devil-may-care summer of 2009, swinging was firmly in the category of things he knew happened somewhere in the world but never to him. He just felt so unprepared. Which boxes was he wearing? He found himself fretfully wondering. Nearly all of his were bog-standard M&S numbers, black with the odd novelty print thrown in if he was feeling fanciful. He feared they might not be in keeping with the spirit of the evening. He glanced round the room again. Everyone, to a man, was in excellent physical shape. The men were either tall and muscular or short and lean, or handsome. The women ranged from taut, angular, messily elegant clones of Joni or voluptuous Kardashian types, all attractive, all expensively made up. If he did acquiesce to this debauchery, agreed to be led by the hand upstairs by a strange woman, he wasn't sure he could then handle being rejected on the grounds of inferior body type and or disappointing taste in undergarments. The expression, feeling like a spare dick at an orgy, sprang unhelpfully to mind. Are you... Do you have someone in mind for the evening? He bumbled. If I stay, who will you... Who will I... Well, Arlo usually tips the condoms out of that bowl and we chuck names into it. You know, the old car key trick. Except no one drives in London, so... I think Joni's writing the names out now. We used to have two bowls. One for girls, one for boys. Then there was a general feeling that Adhering to gender norms was a bit passé, so we all just go into the same bowl. There was a hint of pride to her voice. She clearly felt her swinging community to be a woke one. So it's random. He was agog. The flippancy of it all. The casualness. Well, yeah. Clemmy looked at him, askance. Not really fair to pick teams, is it? What if someone gets left out? That's not what it's all about at all. He nodded, pleasantly surprised by the democratic nature of it all. And it's... safe? God, yes. What do you take me for? She looked more than a little affronted, before softening considerably. She took his hand. Look, you don't have to do anything you don't want to. Have another drink. Try to enjoy it. You'll love it. I promise. Here, let me fetch you a whiskey. I'll have one too. She squeezed his hand and disappeared in the direction of the kitchen, just as Arlo clapped his hands together. Okay, chaps, little bit of hush and we'll get going. Everyone happy? Got drinks? Yes? Good. Lovely. Okay, sweetheart, 
Do you want to take it from here? Joni stepped forward. She had changed out of her green wrap dress into something quite different. She was now kitted out in a sequin jumpsuit slashed to the waist, flaunting a painfully bony chest and almost concave stomach. She looked hungry. Okay, babies, she cried, holding the big glass bowl aloft. It was now full of tiny scraps of folded paper, as though they were all about to play charades. Clemmy returned and passed him a tumbler of whiskey, clinking with ice. He belted back half of it in one go. Joni placed the bowl at her feet and made a great show of theatrically fishing out the first name. Now, as always, darlings, the draw is final. At this, she reached up and gave her boyfriend a deep, lingering kiss. There were murmurs of assent as Joni unfurled the first name. Babs, she cried. A blonde woman in a pencil skirt and floral top gave a little cheer before knocking back her wine. Joni selected a second slip of paper and read it aloud. Jeremy, ooh, that's a new pair. Have fun, you two. Babs and Jeremy found one another in the small crowd, giggling nervously, before making for the stairs hand in hand. Tarquin and... Minta! And so it went on. Couples found one another, then sloped off to find a quiet corner in which to get better acquainted. After five couples had been announced, and Will felt himself sweating with the stress of it all, he noticed that only the four of them remained in the living room. They were surrounded by vacated sofas and could hear various groans and bumps emanating from upstairs. It was all very disconcerting. Not that Clemmy, Arlo or Joni seemed to notice. He was jolted by Joni shouting, Clemmy, oh, Clem Clem, who have we got for you this evening? Hopefully not Will, as that would just be too boring. She flashed him a coquettish smile. She chose one of the few remaining slips of paper left in the bowl. Perhaps she would draw his name, he thought hopefully. Then he and Clemmy could just enjoy sex in a crowded house. Could fuck in the utility room, perhaps. On the washing machine. He'd read somewhere that girls liked that. Would that be enough? Or would that be too muted a thrill? He didn't know. He didn't know anything anymore. Arlo, trilled Joni, her face lighting up with delight. Ooh, fabulous. Arlo pecked her cheek and strode across the room to Clemmy's waiting arms. They embraced, and after squeezing his hand one last time, Will's new girlfriend disappeared to have sex with someone who was most definitely not him. As he watched them go, he was suddenly aware of being left alone with Joni. She tossed the last slip of paper into the bowl and sidled over to him. She put her arms around his waist and kissed him, longer this time, with feeling. He let her. Come on, you. Arlo and Clemmy will have gone to the study. We can use the master. Ah, uh, sure, <laughs> yes. Yeah, you go. I'm going to, um, just get a glass of water. She frowned at him, clearly a little thrown. Uh, okay. Glasses are in the top right cupboard, left of the Arga. And Will? Yes? Don't be long. Third door on the right. She reached down and patted his crotch like it was a pet, then skipped up the stairs. He clutched his groin protectively. Fuck, 
this. He turned on the spot, and without even gathering up his jacket, ran down the hallway and began flipping open the various locks on the gigantic door. He finally heaved it open and dashed out into the cold night. He ran down Tite Street and kept jogging all the way along the riverfront, pulling left to take the Albert Bridge over into Battersea. Once safely opposite Battersea Park, he stopped, clutching his knees and panting. Opposite, he caught sight of the friendly lights of a pub, the Prince Albert. Yes, just what the doctor ordered. Will pushed open the pub door and propped himself up at the bar, dishevelled and sweaty from his run. Pint of Doombar, please. He eased his wallet out of his pocket, relieved that he hadn't left it in his jacket, a jacket which he suspected he may never see again. Sure. You all right, mate? Lively night, the barman asked, taking in the heavily breathing, harrowed-looking customer in front of him. You have no idea. He gratefully took his pint, spying a paper menu atop the bar. Any chance you're still doing food? He was starving. That was Dinner by Catherine Case, read by Paul Sandys. This short story was brought to you by Copycat Creative. To receive a Saucy Shorts email to your inbox every Friday, please subscribe via the link found on the Saucy Shorts podcast homepage. Saucy Shorts, just a little bit of what you fancy. <laughs>